Being adopted has carried a unique set of emotions, experiences, and questions over the course of my life. What would my life have looked like if I wasn't adopted? Are my birth parents alive? Does my birth mom think about me on my birthday? When I try to answer these questions, I find myself playing a game of mental gymnastics, carefully considering who I'm speaking to before sharing my truth. Because the answers to these types of questions are sometimes too hard for general society to digest. But these are the types of conversations I like having with other adoptees. My name is Angela Tucker, and this is The Adoptee Next Door. I am a black woman, a transracial adoptee, which means I was adopted and raised by white parents. And over the last decade, I've had the opportunity to speak with more than 10,000 adoptees in 45 states, seven countries, and five continents. But I still want to meet more and know more. Because speaking with other adoptees is what gives me energy. And I think our society can benefit from our perspectives. They painted the picture for us of like, hey, we think your parents can take care of you. So we're here to take care of you. I mean, it was just kind of as simple as like, and we were like, so y'all are like heroes. You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh my. So then it made us feel better about us because we were like, because we felt rescued. We felt chosen. We, we, you felt chosen. My first guest on The Adoptee Next Door is Sam Collier. Sam is a pastor, speaker, writer, and a host of a greater story show and podcast. His reunion with his biological mother was featured on The Steve Harvey Show, an experience which propelled him to write his first book of the same title, A Greater Story. Sam is black and was adopted along with his twin sister to black parents and raised in Atlanta, Georgia on the same street as Martin Luther King Jr. So hello. Always good to see you. Always. Good to see you again. And I have here in my hand your book. Congratulations. You finally got, look, <laughs> I have it too. I have gotten into it just a few pages and I've already been stuck in wanting to talk to you about it. So I'm really excited <laughs> for this opportunity. Okay, so right off the bat, the word rescue is on the front cover of your book, My Rescue, Your Purpose, and Our Place in God's Plan. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just wanting to hear everything about that. That's a really kind of hot button topic within the adoption community, this yeah. idea of saviorism um, yeah. and that we needed to be rescued yeah. and rescued from what? So I'm just curious about your take on this, My Rescue. Great question. That word entered my story after I met my biological brother. Let me tell you what happened. So we're on the Steve Harvey show. Hey folks, uh, I'm back with twins Sarah and Sam who are searching for their birth mom. Now, she gave them up for adoption when they were infants. Now, here's the thing. I know I said that we didn't find your birth mother, but that's not the case. Eleanor, come on out. We do the show, and then we have the kumbaya moment. And after the kumbaya moment, the lights go off, right? 
And Steve's like, good to meet you. I'm like, good to meet you. Steve leaves. We don't see him again. We go. And he's like, hey, we're sending you to this Mexican restaurant to hang out, paying for food, hotel. And then Steve is like back in Georgia, right? He's gone. Wow. Chicago, so right? all of the sudden, within the span of a few hours, you're now with whom? You're with your biological, you're with your sister for, for the yeah. first sake, your twin sister who was adopted with you. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden you have... I'm at a dinner table with my adoptive parents, my biological mom, brother, two other sisters, and my twin sister. And one of my mentors that flew up. And we're all at the Mexican restaurant. And we laugh, or somebody makes a joke. I laugh, everyone laughs, and we all have the same laugh. I mean, so it's just like this. You know, and I've got to laugh. <laughs> like, that's my that's laugh. Thing. Yes. People who aren't adopted may not really truly understand the gravity of what you've just said. <laughs> but when you've grown up without having the biological connection, and then you're able to, for me, it was a skin tone that I've been around black people. I have siblings who are black and stuff. But when I met my birth family, I was like, this, this tone, this shade is the same. So I hear you about those. I'll tell you this, like, if I had a picture, I would bring me. I'm, I've never seen anybody that looks like me. I mean, people used to say I look like LeBron James. Sure. But <laughs> and but I'd never seen anyone that look. And so I'm looking. Yes. I like I asked my brother, you know, and I'm gonna get back to the question. But I asked him, I'm like, so he's bald, right? So I'm bald. He's bald. So I said, when did it happen? He said, well, you know, it happens around 24. I said, it does. Unbelievable. Jeans. It right? does happen around 24. But you, you know, so you went bald around 24? Yep. Which is so young and, yep. and unbeknownst to you, you had this biological brother out there in the world who had the same thing when everyone around you was probably like, what? You're too young. Right. Nobody knew. I thought I was stressed out. And then I met him. He was like, no, it happens around 24. I was like, and then I saw a picture of my biological dad and he was bald. So it was just like me, all me and my brother looked just like my dad. And my sisters are all pretty much identical. It's insane. Like, I had never seen, I think the weirdest thing, and I'm going to get back to the question. I think the weirdest thing was seeing somebody that looked like my sister. Because, yeah. you know, it's just been me and my twin our whole lives. Right. And I'm, you know, we're fraternal. So she's darker. And so people are like, oh, y'all twins, y'all kind of look alike when y'all smile. So to see sisters, I didn't, I'd never seen anyone that looked like Sarah, anyone. Yes. And to see them identical. I mean, it was insane. So it's we got so overwhelming. How did you deal with the overwhelm? Did you feel it? Did you like fake your way through it? Well, I was, you know, I think, and this is honestly, um, and I don't know if this is your experience, but because it was the same day, it was a lot of, it was a lot going on. So every sense was alive. Like, you know, your, your, your ears and your eyes and your heart and your life. Yes. And you're just like taking all this in. You're just like, okay, okay. And you're, and you have so many questions that your curiosity over, you know, overrides any type of like weirdness. So you're yes. just like, okay, okay. So tell me about this and who did this and tell me about my uncle and yeah. you know, tell me about, okay, so now when did you, so we were fine. Me and my sister, we were fine that whole day. Okay. As the night started to creep in and we left 
the uh, the um, the dinner and my adoptive parents went home or went back to the hotel to go to sleep. And my mentor went back to his hotel. And then we hung out with our biological family that night in their hotel. Wow. That is when the differences started to be noticed. And I could tell when, it, when my sister noticed it. Well, it was obvious because one, I'm a... Um, I'm in ministry. So, you know, they're like, get ready to smoke in the room. And they're like, uh, okay. we smoke around Sam, you know, and you know, my biological mother's like, no, we ain't smoking around Sam, you know, no smoking around Sam. Okay. Um, and you know, and you, and she smoked, you know, so, so it was just, so I, the, so that, so that's when things started to go, all right, now we're becoming who we are. Okay. So when you say when the differences started to seep in and we're becoming who we are, is this, is this leading to the conversation with your brother about where this word rescue comes, comes yes. in. Yes. Um, it actually happened before I skipped over it because we went down this road, but before we went to eat, <laughs> I'm walking out of the Steve Harvey show, Oprah, Oprah studio. I walk out the back door. He pulls me to the side. He said, Hey, come here. I said, okay. He said, Hey, I know you feel like you missed out. You may feel like you missed out on something. He said, but I want you to know you didn't. There were times we were so hungry, we didn't eat for four days at a time. Mm. He said, so I know you feel like you may have missed out on something, but you didn't miss out. You were rescued. How did that, did that, did you agree at the moment? Yes. <laughs> I mean, well, can I ask, it sounds like an obvious question question but at the same time we just talked about how you had never seen anyone that looked like you you'd never heard yeah. anyone who had the same laugh as you you didn't yeah. have medical information to know why you went bald at 24 like right you right. miss out on some things sure but here's here's where i kicked here's what my mentality was and i think this really helped me um respond to this because respond to it the way i did my sister reacted in the, I need to get away from everybody way. So she like, you know, she called me one day and said, cause our biological family, I mean, it's Tyler Perry. When you think my biological family, it literally is the Tyler Perry movies, right? I mean, oh. you know, so they swarm us all at one time. I mean, Instagram, Facebook, email. I don't even know how they found us. Phone calls. It's like, ah. it's just blowing up. Like all like these times before we got into this, I responded the way I did in terms of embracing my biological family. While my sisters called me and said, I need like, I don't, I, I, de I need to deactivate my Facebook account. Like this is too much. But I reacted that way because I had a nonprofit in the inner city. And so did my brother, which is crazy. My nonprofit was called no losing. His was called no limits. Don't get me started. <laughs> wow and so i think him and i connected because i reached eighty thousand kids in the inner city in a year so i was with um kids that lived in poverty every day so in the connection there you're saying is your nonprofit served kids who were my, non my nonprofit served me so had I stayed with my biological family, the kids in my nonprofit would have been me. Would have been. And so, 
And so I saw the effects of nature versus nurture. I am constantly trying to disrupt the savior and the rescue narrative within adoption because often that is a story driven by the adoptive parents who are creating the story they want others to hear. However, when an adult adoptee like Sam claims this narrative, I feel differently. People often have said to me, you must be so glad that you got adopted. And I tend to disagree because if I was not adopted, my life would not have been worse. It would have just been different. And I wouldn't have known life any other way to make any comparisons. I never knew why my heart was so big for the inner city. Mm. But it was because that's, it's who I am. And that's why I say, you know, my dad, my adoptive dad who decided you need to go find your parents, He was right. I did need to go and find my parents because I did need to know that there were certain things I would have never learned had I not discovered where I was from. Like, hey, you are running after yourself. It's really fascinating because a lot of adoptees find themselves working maybe in more overtly obvious ways of doing essentially me search which yeah. is what I call kind of what you did, even though you didn't even know it. Yeah. But they might do me search like I did, where I, I worked within a Christian adoption agency, placing mm. newborns and those out of foster care. And I think I did it because I wanted to know more about myself. Like, what did I go through? What did my parents go through in order to adopt me? And I, this is one way to find out. I think there's a lot of adoptees who work in academia who do the same thing, who are doing mm. some some research on attachment or, you know, that it's all kind of, I think, uh, maybe a subconscious way that all of us adoptees who've experienced some great loss are trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And you just didn't know that's what you were doing this whole time. I didn't even know. And my brother, right? I mean, his nonprofit literally did the same thing except through sports. Wow. No limits, no losing. Crazy. I want to know more about, you said your dad was the impetus for you to search for your biological family. And I also know that this book you wrote after finding your biological family, like that was a huge turning point for you, even though it sounds like you didn't grow up with this longing and this desire to know them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, and I, the more I've even been processing this out loud, I've learned a couple of things. Um, I think that my father, well, one, you know, it was a closed adoption. So we didn't really know anything beyond, we think your mother was poor. We think you have siblings out there. We think, we yeah. think, we think, but you know, so it, so my dad was very big on focus, helping us focus on the moment that we were living in. Sure. Like you could spend time on um, thinking about what you don't have, or you could spend time on thinking about what you do have. I hear that. But I also think that sometimes a curiosity about our roots or about our biological parents comes in the form of like, why am I athletic? Like, where did I get this from? Why do I love like fashion? Or for you, like, why am I so comfortable on stage? And those sorts of questions are are also indicative of being like, I'm kind of curious where I came from. I don't know that I ever needed to know when we were younger. 
because, you know, my parents, they weren't weird about it at all. They were like, you know, I would do something and they'd be like, I don't know where you get that one from. You know, yeah, like they would yeah. just okay. be like, we think you, I think it's obvious you probably had some music in your family because we can't sing, you know, and we can't, you're, I was playing, ten, you know, six instruments in 10th grade. They were just like, <laughs> obviously this came from somewhere. Um, and I was just like, yeah, right. And then we just kept rolling. And there was just this sense of like, hey, you know, like we're in a space now and we're being taken care of. I really do think the narrative that my parents gave me young, it was the true narrative. It was, and I think we just accepted it. And it was, you know, we were into Disney a lot when we were younger. We were into Disney a whole lot. So they painted the picture for us of like, hey, we think your parents can take care of you. So we're here to take care of you. I mean, it was just kind of as simple as like, and we were like, so y'all are like heroes. You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh my. So then it made us feel better about us because we were like, because we felt rescued. We felt we, chosen. We, you felt chosen. Special. Yeah. Okay. Special. And we would look at the movies and we would see these, you know, these people that were in these situations be rescued by heroes or, you know, abandoned. You know, so many Disney and and cartoon and animated films that start with abandonment. Yes. Found, you know, found him in the back alley somewhere. And, yeah. and it was like, so I think, you know, a lot of that was, we internalized it as, oh, we're just like whoever, Superman or Spider-Man. I don't know. I can't even get the, yeah. the, the example. And, you know, I think it's one of the reasons, it's interesting, we're talking about this. I gravitated so much towards Harry Potter. I loved Harry I thought I was Harry. And so it was like, Harry's, <laughs> you know, Harry's parents died. And, you know, they were there. So now he's like this chosen one. And <laughs> so on the opposite side is like something had to happen in order for someone to be, need to be, in your words, rescued. So where did you put that in your mind? Was it okay that you had a birth mother out there who, couldn't see her own child and I'm wondering maybe like in your in your faith and in your I think this is maybe a common question but just thinking about as you talk about God's plan in this greater story of yours what does that mean that God's plan was for your birth mother yeah you know I think um and now we're gonna get a little deeper I think that um My father had a way, and my mother as well, they didn't avoid anything. And so, in fact, they probably brought it up before we did. Uh. And so um, they really helped, they really established a sense of depth in our minds about really complex situations from a very young age. Lovely. And so I think when it came to our mother, the, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I've never said this out loud. I'm going to say this is why we, I love doing this, is I think in our minds, we knew that she gave us up. We knew that was her choice, right? And so it was, um, if she wants us, she'll come get us, mm. you know? Um, if she doesn't, who knows why? It could be because she doesn't want us, or it could be because she can't take care of us. 
Mm-hmm. Or it could be because she's dead. I mean, it was like just so many things in our mind. And so I think for us, at a very young age, the process was now I could, and I go back to my dad, I could spend time trying to unlock that or I could focus on the opportunity in front of me. A part of this is my wiring. I'm very success oriented. Okay. You know, I value success over um, not success, <laughs> you know, not being successful. Mm-hmm. I want to make, and if I were to say it a different way, I want to make the most of my life. Sure. I want my life to matter. I want to be known for something. I don't want, you know, it's not about me, but I want my life to matter. And so that becomes my thing. Okay, well, I can't, okay, well, I'll come back to that. I got to run. Like right now, let's go and be, let's go help as many people as possible. Part of that came from my dad for sure. Um, part of it, I think, is how I'm wired. But I will say, I, I think that this idea of us, comp, of, us of, of, of us understanding a lot of deep things at a young age is my sister and came from my sister. We were, were backstage on the Steve Harvey show and she has this moment. And, you know, this is the moment I had to yell at my dad. I don't know if I told you about this moment, but I'm yelling at my dad. Cause he's, you know, my dad's a yell. He's a leader, but he's, you know, and. Uh, he seems like he has personality. I loved watching him clap for himself on the Steve Harvey show. <laughs> <laughs> he's 84 now he adopted us when he was 50 so i mean he's but he he's from the country he's i don't know if you know anybody from the country but those black country like older men or women like they just they don't meet a stranger that you know small town and so um my sister has this moment backstage before we go on the show because we know that there may be a moment where our mother comes out even though they told us they didn't find anybody and she just She's nervous. She's, and my dad, you know, he's like, you know, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to be grateful. You know, that's the place he's in, right? And she loses it, right? And she's like, well, what if they don't want us? Mm. Wow. So I look at my dad and I say, (laughs) you know, I'm like, this is not the time. What are you doing? You know, and he's like, well, I'm like, get up. And so I'll tell you something. This is deep. And I'm going to go back to my point. Uh, there's a therapist on set. Therapist takes us to the back room. He looks at both of us. He says, listen, whatever you came in here with, you're going to leave with. Mm-hmm. Never forget that. He said, you came in accepted. You came in love. You came in confident, smart. No matter what happens on the set, you will leave with what you came with. Nobody can take that away. Wow. Calm my sister down. I'll never forget that moment. Mm. But my point is, I believe that there was this idea and this thought of we could go down that road, but there's so much unknown down that road. There is. Of course, that's inherent within being an adoptee. Yeah. Right. And so I think for us, it was when we're ready, we will go down that road, but we want to be ready because I can't imagine. And that's why I always go. I couldn't imagine being 14, 15, 16. Yes. Going down that road because the journey I'm even on now is so complex intellectually, mentally, and emotionally 
I wasn't stable emotionally at 15. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I was crazy. I got suspended from school for 30 days, which we can talk about later. Like, I was still crazy. Um, and so I think there was this thing in us that was, we could go down that road. You know, we watch Antoine Fisher. I don't know if you see Yes, yes. My parents took me to see. It's just more about my parents. When were you? Or how old were you when you saw Antoine uh, Fisher? We were teenagers for sure. Younger? Maybe 14? Yeah, it's just interesting because I'm hearing so many threads of like adoption was a, a big point of interest in your life. Like even just hearing how much you glommed on to the superheroes in Disney. Like you were in a way always kind of looking for a representation of what it felt like for you to be removed totally. from your home and then have this other home, even though they're great. Your parents sound fit yeah. and happy. But you were always kind of searching, even though you weren't looking for your biological parents. You were always kind of searching for your identity is what I feel like I hear. I, I totally agree with that. You know, it's like being a black guy at a white church and you see somebody black on stage and you're like, yes, I <laughs> all right. You're like, that's in. <laughs> oh, you're right. I, I do think, you know, and, and again, I, I, my dad was a large part of those moments. I always feel like he was a step ahead of us. Like, and, and so I think before we could even look, he was like, there you go. You're right. Okay. There. Yeah. There you go. You're right there. And so he took us to Antoine Fisher and I didn't even know the movie was out. I didn't even know what was going on. So he didn't even tell me what the movie was about. So we're sitting in the movie. For those of you who have never seen Antoine Fisher, it's a powerful movie from 2002, starring Denzel Washington and Derek Luke, who plays Antoine. Antoine was in foster care as a child, and while in the Navy, he is encouraged by his therapist, who is played by Denzel, to find his biological mother and family. I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie, but I know it is a lot. Here's a clip of an emotional scene where Antoine is sitting with his birth mother, played by Viola Davis, in her apartment. She doesn't say a word to him and can't even look him in the eye, but Antoine just talks to her. I used to dream about you. My mother. My mother. You know, what you be like. How you look. Your voice and your smile, even your scent. For all these years, I wondered about you. I dreamed about you. Didn't you miss me? So we're sitting in the movie, and then we're like, oh, wait a minute, this is our story, right? I mean, like, and he, and he, and I, I forgot to say this, he always would say, and my mom, if you want to go meet somebody, tell us. Yes, yes. If you want to go meet somebody, tell us. I really, we, I really respect all that that they did. Yeah, I mean, and we were just like, nah, you know, like not yet, not yet. Yeah. Not. And we're I, busy. But I think, what'd, what'd you say? We're busy. We we've got basketball practice. We've got things uh, like we got. Uh, we'll get there. And yeah. I, I do honestly believe, as we were talking about this, I'm even processing in real time. I do honestly believe it's. I don't know if I want to open that can of worms yet. Yes. I mean, who, I don't know who would choose that. Um, I too feel like at 25, when I met my birth parents, that it was overwhelming. And I remember like you <laughs> talked about 
the Facebook friend requests, Instagram, Twitter, my phone, like any way people, my my people, my family yeah. can get in touch with me. They were. My phone was ringing off the hook. That was overwhelming. Yet at the same time, I think about four-year-olds whose yeah. parents get divorced and they are able to assimilate and understand yeah. that they have now stepmom, stepdad, this house, yeah. that house. Like we're actually capable of so much more than of we course. think. But I think once our kind of prefrontal cortex starts developing, we're like, yeah, I'm going to choose not to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> for so many adopted people, the desire to search for their biological family, if it's not like this innate curiosity that just like boils over like mine, I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to know. If it's yeah. not that, it's that they have like relationships with other adopted people who've done it and who've come back with stories that are like, you know, just real. And, and it helps yeah. people be like, oh yeah, I think I can do that. Or yeah. I'm just wondering like, was there anyone else in your life that you knew yeah. who had reconnected with their biological family after 20 or 30 years? I, you know, it wasn't. I didn't know one person. I'm, I'm grateful to God that it happened the way it did. Um, sure. For me, it was a very meticulous and um, uh, new, like nuanced, intentional process, not on my end, but I think of the, of the things around me, like the elements, my dad, this certain moments in church. And yeah. so I think I got to intellectually get around it first. Okay. Yes. And instead of the emotions rising up in me of like, cause that's why I think when I say 30 or 40 or 50, I think by that time, had I not found them, the emotions would have probably taken over. Okay. Yeah. You needed to process it intellectually first from every angle and have like all these supports in place, have your kind of your career on track, all those things. Yes. Yeah. I see. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, and, and I'll be honest, I haven't figured it all out. The hardest thing for me to process was where to put my biological mother. I didn't know where to put her. Yeah, and you know I remember saying? you told me on the phone that how she comes up in your, or how you put her in your phone. Right, I did, the whole ma sis. <laughs> ma sis, literally, ma dash yeah. S-I-S. Yeah, there is, um, there, there is a sense of, you know, the, the, the difficulty for me, and I'm choosing my words wisely, there is, the difficulty for me was you can't have the mom space. It's already taken up. It's ta you, and yeah, you, it's already taken up and somebody already put in the work. So, okay, a couple things. I'm thinking real, I'm thinking, there's so much I'm thinking about, but yeah. point number one. <laughs> <laughs> When adoptees are in spaces with other adopted people only, yeah, it's kind of magical because we can say kind of whatever we want and people get it and we yeah. don't feel like we have to mince our words. And because right now it's like, not only is this public, but like our parents, my parents are listening. My birth mom's going to listen. I'm sure my birth sister's going to listen. Her, you know, my siblings and my adoptive family listening, your parents. And so it's like, oh my goodness, I think I said this on the red table. Like when we speak honestly about adoption, it's inevitable that we're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. I truly feel that. And so for you, I think what you're saying is like your mom has played that mom role in the verb sense 
and she has been lovely to you and that to put someone else in that same like place in your body wherever it is might feel like she didn't deserve it she didn't earn it your birth mom and it makes me think about the documentary about my search i was watching it and my mom says to brian who's filming and interviewing her brian's my husband my mom says you know i was a little bit scared about angela searching for her birth mom because i was worried that i'd be replaced And that was the first time I'd ever heard my mom say that. And I'm so grateful she did because I, I'm like, wow, of course you might feel that sense. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that's what you're saying a little bit. Like, where does your biological mom fit in your body, in your heart, in your mind? Like, it can't be in that spot because it's already taken. I think there is a sense of a, appropriate... I don't want to use that term. I don't, that doesn't fully describe what I want to say. I will say this. I think there is a sense of I'm going to ascribe, no, I'm going to use it, the appropriate honor <laughs> to a certain, you know, to certain, to a certain place, to a certain person in a certain time. And I think, you know, my mother will always, biological, will always have the respect, the honor, and the love for me for having me and not aborting me. She will always have that. But my mother, who has Alzheimer's, who raised me, who, you get me emotional. <laughs> this is what you do for a living. This, you, this is what you, you are walking me down the street to this moment in time. You did this. I'm, I'm going to get you after this is over. We, we became best friends in front of the world. Um, <laughs> the one that, massaged my head when they left me on one side of my body in foster care who remolded me who when I was in fourth grade came home and was crying but I mean burst out in tears and I'm not a crier because somebody talked about my head which was really just a normal fourth grader but to me an insecurity because of how my life started, who yeah. massaged my head, told me I was handsome. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> um, who, I could go down the list of the moments that she sacrificed for me. Quit corporate FedEx to be a school teacher. I mean, not a school, a secretary. Hmm. I mean, she had a college degree and became... I don't want to use the word Lois because that role is amazing, but compared to what she would do, left a corporate job to, to, to come down to be a secretary in the school system just so that she could guide our academic career. Wow. Yeah. There was a moment she was 60 and I looked at her and she was depressed and I said, what's going on? I'm grown now. Right. What's going on? She, I don't know what my purpose is anymore. You were my purpose. She lived to raise her kids. Yeah. I can't give any, I can't, I can't give anybody else that space. That to me is the difference between biological mom and mother. Hmm. That, that's the difference to me between biological father and father. I hear um, you. I hear that. That makes sense. And I think there's a, I I got that kind of question a lot when I was searching for my birth parents, people saying like, your parents did everything for you. How could you do this to them? 
kind of thing. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, see, I don't describe to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really difficult. But at the same time, I was like, yes. I'm wondering, though, for you, like, just because they hold the same title technically as mom. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to fit it in that same spot when it's so evident that you can love people? Like, all, people, yeah. there's so many special people in your life all over the place. Could your birth mom... I call my birth mom by her first name. Yeah. And that feels really good to me. And <laughs> I love, yeah. No, I think, I think for me, just to me, just to be honest, I, I think that was the tension for me is that I didn't know what to, where what to, to call her. Like what category? Well, I mean, Not it's like, mom. this is a yeah. stranger who gave birth to you. Right. <laughs> like, wow, that's wild. But you know, what I think was helpful for me was, when I started hearing my birth mom refer to my mom as mom, like my birth mom, Deborah, would say like, what's your mom up to? And I was just like, wow, that feels so lovely. Yeah. And it just gave me permission because I'm like, I think she understands that her place is a little different. And she also understands that her place is so significant in my heart yeah. and in my life, but yeah. that I have a mom. It's true. And that's good for me. And, and I think we're walking down the journey that I'm on, you know, it's like, I think I've, I think I've, I've gotten a little better after four years, <laughs> but I do think it is a thing that, um, that I don't want to say I'll battle with forever, but um, that I keep a close eye on every day. And I do think, can I, and I, this one, I wanted to say this is I do think my personality is one that is very, um, uh, focused. I can get very focused on something for a really long time and miss out. Like I'm the, I'm the kid that's like, my sister has to call me like, okay, when are you coming back over to see us? Because I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I got, I was in California. I was here. I was writing. I was doing, I can get really like, which, which has served me well in terms of my musician days, my preacher days, yeah. all these things, because you have to be writing a book. You have to get focused for a really long time on one thing. And that's, that's to me a gift and a curse because it's the gift. Cause I can spend four hours learning how to play the piano daily. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to get off the piano. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, and, the world is going by. And right. <laughs> what I think about you is that your life is like, it's linear in the sense of like, you know the ladder to climb in order to get to from A to B. Yeah. And that's either, you know, playing music, writing a book. Like, look it, you have a, a hardback book out now. Like you went from <laughs> nothing to yeah. writing this. But like relationships with biological family members, there's no ladder. There's no A, B, C. Nope. It is so nope. messy because relationships messy. are messy. But especially when these are really important strangers who are biologically connected to you. So I wonder if like, that's the struggle. This is a totally different arena. So good. I think, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's what it is. You know, I think you, you try to create a system for something there is no system for. It is one of the greatest intersections of, or the greatest tension points for um, Jesus, if you will the God factor and the human factor. What is the, the intersection? The balance for me specifically as my, 
in terms of the way I'm wired with, with moving in this new space, because you, you, you want to honor yourself, but I also have a very, you want to honor them, but I also have a very large desire, which is rooted in my faith to love and to communicate love to everyone. So that has been one of my greatest, it's one of my greatest tensions is because where I just, the intersection of my humanity and my, and my faith, uh, specifically in this area, because you, because you, you don't have the one plus one equals two and the climbing and the this, and you're like, well, how do I, how do I honor you? And how do I get this? And how do I show you love? But how do I also take my time? And how do I still communicate? It's like, ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it is, that is the, when you talk, this is the after the book, right? This is um, the, the, the next, the second layer is, that's the journey Sam is in now of I'm going. I'm so with you on it. I'm so curious. I want to be there for you through it. <laughs> Excited for you. Right? It's yes. navigating it and, and doing your best to, to love as, as best you know how in the moment. So, I thank you so much for this conversation. Are we done? Well, we weren't quite done. Sam and I carried on for another half hour. And at one point, Sam mentioned to me how he hadn't talked with another adoptee in depth, which for me was a reminder of why I love these conversations. There was a time years ago when I didn't know many adoptees either. And so I knew what he was feeling. Because I know that it's only been through talking about adoption with other adoptees that has allowed me to get a better grasp on my own identity as an adoptee. It was so great to hear his story in his own words, but there was a lot that we didn't get to, including Sam's identity as a pastor. Christianity, religion, the Bible, and what you preach in relation to what adoption has become in the church. We should have went. That's where we should have started. (laughs) That's where we should have started. Maybe part two with Sam? We'll see. I want to thank Sam Collier for joining me today, for sharing his truth. Make sure you support Sam by purchasing his book, A Greater Story, which is out today. And check out his other projects at his website, samcollier.tv. If you liked this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review, rate it, and share it with your friends and family. Once again, I'm Angela Tucker. You can follow me on Instagram at Angie Adoptee, Twitter or Facebook at The Adopted Life, or check out my website at AngelaTucker.com. This episode was edited by my husband, Brian Tucker. The music is courtesy of Marmoset and Artlist. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next week on The Adoptee Next Door.